Now, NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio with Lee Whitting. Whether you're listening on TalkZone, by podcast, through the archives of our ad-free shows on our YouTube channel, or connected through the incredible content of our Facebook page. Our guest today, Janet Tarantino, grew up in a comfortable neighborhood across a tree-lined street from a golf course and park and with a swimming pool nearby. She's described it as a pretty perfect childhood. But she had an early indication her life would prove revealing when she caught glimpses of three future times when spiritually transformative experiences would impact the direction of her life. One occurred the week before starting high school when Jan turned violently ill. This triggered an unusual out-of-body confrontation, the first of three encounters with the other side Jan will tell us about today. She describes her story as well in her book, Dying to See, Revelations about God, Jesus, Our Pathways, and the Nature of the Soul. Jan Tarantino, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Excited. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're here, too, and I'm excited about uh, your story, which is uh, really fascinating. Um, Jan, if you would, please uh, start with your pre-kindergarten visions of your future life. Okay. Um, I was too young to go into kindergarten yet, so all the other kids were gone, and I was bored and didn't have anybody to play with. So I was listening to a conversation that my mom was having on the phone with a friend, and they were talking about adoption. Uh, I didn't listen to the entire conversation, so when she got off, I asked her, am I adopted? And, And she said, no, silly, you're our little girl. Then uh, the next thing that came out of my mouth, I'll never forget. I said, okay, but I'm going to die young. And when I stood there, she was, she said, quit talking like that. And yes, you can imagine. And um, I was sitting there contemplating, what does that mean? Because I was too young to know what age meant. And I had three visions go through in front of me. It took up the whole focus of my mind. And it was like, three visions and kind of like pages. And I end up learning that those were three pages of my near of my book of life, which ended up being the three near death experiences that I was supposed to have in the future. Um, I didn't connect any of that at that time, of course, but so it's been surprised when each one happens. So I thought that was quite amazing. The first uh, near death experience happened when I was uh, 15. And it was the the summer, uh, end of the summer, and I was transitioning from middle school to high school. So this meant that I was changing uh, to a different school that I was not familiar with. So the school scheduled an orientation day for new students to come so that they could attend their homeroom class and get their schedules and check for their lockers, et cetera, and walk through the school and get acquainted with uh, the layout. And I really wanted to go to that. I was looking, I was looking forward to my high school years because it was, you know, the dating game for my generation and all basketball games, football games and, and the like. So, um, but I ended up not being able to go because I got ill. 
I was ended up being so ill that after a few days, my mom removed my sister from the room we shared so that she could sleep in bed with me in case I needed her. But, you know, death is a quiet villain. And if you're meant to, to witness the transition, you would, but that's not often the case. In any case, uh, one night while I was very sick with my mom lying next to me in bed, I woke up and I looked up uh, at the ceiling light that had been turned off for the night. And I, I felt like death warmed over. It was the only way I can say it. And I felt I could smell, you know, this the stench of sickness, you know, the sweet and sour smell of sickness. Um, and I felt like I was getting dizzy, but even though I was lying in bed, but what I find out that it was not my body that was, that felt dizzy. It was my spirit that had fallen backward and exited my body through going through the, the mattress. And then when it, then in spirit, I was looking up toward the ceiling and the ceiling transformed into bubbling clouds. It was actually the ceiling light started to spin to the right and everything transformed into bubbling clouds. Then the clouds settled and it was just a, a whole ceiling of the whole, everything before me turned to clouds is what it was. You couldn't even see the ceiling anymore. And then I observed the clouds because there was two separate areas in the clouds that started spinning. One was on the left side of the room and one was spinning on the right side of the room. And those quickly opened up and into making two separate tunnels to two other worlds. My attention went first to the one on the left of the room. And when I peered through that tunnel to the left of me, I saw, uh, I know this is going to sound strange, but a sumo wrestler with a top knot in his hair and he was dressed in white and he was in a white room and surrounded in a right, white radiant light. And all he did was watch me. No matter how he moved, he kept his eyes locked on me watching. Then I heard the most beautiful music coming for the other tunnel. So my, my attention was taken there. And that's when I saw a stunning young woman with long, almost black, thick hair swish down into the opening. She seemed to I described her as coming, writing in on the on the most glorious music I had ever heard. And at the time, at 15, and with our generation, we didn't have internet and oh, maybe only two or three channels at, at that time on television. We didn't have all this graphic art stuff in, you know, in our sphere of being. So I associated with her with the music box lady. I described her as the music box lady and daddy's little girl, because at one point she moved up and away. So, but after the music box lady made her entrance, she started communicating with the sumo wrestler in the other tunnel. And I, I knew they were discussing something, but I couldn't hear what they were saying as they were talking telepathically and, and I wasn't in on the conversation. Uh, more occurred because I left my body and I, I inspected her dress, but it, and I re returned back to my body. But at uh, as their discussion ended, she moved up and away for a while and then eventually returned and they, they continued talking. And then they suddenly transformed into glowing orbs of light and left the room. And that's when I settled back into my body and immediately ran for the bathroom to throw up again. I didn't want them to go because I felt like I knew them, like they were friends of mine. And, and 
But eventually I put that uh, the sumo wrestler and the music box lady behind me um, and but never could forget about it. That's for sure. And as I got better, I was I was fearful because I I could sense the beings around me. I kept looking up the ceiling and I knew they were there, but I couldn't see them. And I was I was fearful from that point on um, about some things. But then I forgot about it and put it behind me. Um, the second brush with death, death happened. Oh, oh um, let me ask you, Jen. Sure. Uh, you heard music when you were there, I understand. What was, what was that like? I describe it like a choir of angels singing. It sounded beautiful, heavenly music, beautiful, heavenly music. And that, I, my NDE was created in the Christian faith, and since I grew up, with Christian parents, even though I didn't go to church, you know, most of my life. Um, he created it that way for a reason, because he creates things in different ways. So I, I wanted to honor his uh, story with uh, using his terminology. But everybody needs to feel free to change the terminology, because Holy Spirit is spirit. You know, God is, you know, can be universal consciousness, etc. So please feel free to change the terminology. Don't get stuck on that. But it was an angelic choir. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's, it and, that, and then the, the lace on the uh, gown of the beautiful girl sounded quite amazing, too. Yeah, that was one of the things I inspected in the, the threads of the eyelets that I flew through. Um, they looked like the size of bamboo shoots, and they created a design of their own in the dress. And it was it was beautiful. Her dress was gorgeous. And I guess you could jump ahead and describe the photo that you saw later on and who that proved to be. Oh, yes. The music box lady. I end up finding out that she was my daughter. And that's why back then at the age of 15, I thought of her as daddy's little girl, because I obviously had a soul contract with her prior to coming to this earth that I was going to be her mother. And if I had died that night, uh, she wouldn't have been born 15. 15 years later. Um, she wasn't even conceived or born until 15 years later. So, but I didn't find her picture that reminded me of the, the music box lady until after she had been in college. And it was on my, the side of my parents' refrigerator. And it was a picture that I didn't have. And when I saw that picture, she was in a stance that was familiar to me. And I, of course, you know, I knew she was my daughter, but I was reminding me of something else because I drew the, I had already drawn the picture of that NDE and, and that's in my book. And unquestionably, it was the music box lady. She was the music <laughs> box lady. So she obviously came to remind them of my contract. And obviously at some level, I was uh, reminded and ended up going back to my body. Yeah. So. You describe yourself weaving in and out of the cavernous islets of the exquisite dress fit for a yes. princess and just interweaving yourself through the lacy loops. And I thought it's such an intimate description. It's just so appropriate that she turned out to be your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably the reason why I like lace so well, too. <laughs> All right, I'll let you get into the second one. Okay, the second NDE was, I think I was in my upper 30s, right? probably around 38 or something uh -huh. like that. Um, I'm not an age person. The, and that was when I was in a severe car accident and was saved by divine intervention. 
And that kind of pushed my awareness open uh, even farther uh, that I could no longer discount, you know, the unusual experiences that I had and and the presence of invisible beings around us uh, so easily. So at the time, I was working as a network coordinator for a major corporation, and I was a single mom of three. And my parents lived over 800 miles away. And they didn't get to see the kids that often. So one summer they called, it was during just at the beginning of the summer, and they uh, asked if they could have the kids for a month. And then they were going to take them on a, a road trip to Disneyland in California. And I only needed to get them there. And we're always excited to have road trips. You know, we enjoyed uh, doing that. And so we said, road trip, you know, we gathered all the the. <laughs> paraphernalia we needed to keep them busy in the car. And I delivered them then the next after we set out the next day, because we spent the night in Ogden. And I stayed for a few days and I, I wanted to have a couple of days to myself before I had to return to, uh, to work on Monday. So I, I drove home uh, and then I decided when I got home that with since it was such a beautiful day, no clouds in the sky and and the temperature was perfect. I think it might have been low 70s on that particular day. And so I wanted to decorate the large patio that we have outside with with flowers because I, I did it every year and I wanted it to look nice for the kids when they came home. And looking forward to that day, I made my list and I went out the door and met a friend for a cup of coffee and then head for the, for the flower nursery. And I made my purchases and on my way home, uh, there was virtually no traffic in the area at the time. The, the cars that were coming in my direction headed toward the, my home were so far away, they weren't of a concern to me. So, And there was no only one car coming in the other direction, and it, it was not of a concern to me either. And so I got into the middle lane um, and ended up stopping at the light at the intersection, just not down the, down the road very far. And when it cycled the green, I headed forward and there was a big dip in the road that, and it went, the, everybody went downhill and then back up on the other side. And as I headed down the hill, I noticed that I was catching up to a car headed in my same direction faster than I should. So I analyzed the situation as my job was analyzing everything. And I noticed that it had, it had stopped. That's why I was catching up to it so fast. And, but it was stopped at the bottom of the hill at, at a place where there was no reason for it to be stopped. There was no light there, no cross street, no crosswalk located there, but there was a park on the left-hand side. So I was concerned that there was a possibility of, of a child crossing the street in front of it the car. So, and I was worried about if I went on the left or the right of the car, it, what direction would that child be going? So I chose to stop behind the car so I, I wouldn't hurt anybody. And then when I stopped, I glanced in my rear view mirror to see what, you know, what was happening. And I noticed the light at the top of the hill had changed and, and there was a mass of cars now coming down the hill toward us. And all the lanes were filled, all three of them. And the guy in the lane that was right behind me was looking to his right uh, as if trying to check the, if there was a car there to see if he could change lanes. And he didn't see that we were stopped. 
And it was uh, 45 to 50 miles an hour there. And my eyes were fixed on that driver. And I knew that he was not going to stop and he was going to rear end my car. And I then thought about my seatbelt because I was only like a block and a half away from that nursery. And I was going to buckle it on my way home and I had failed to do it yet. And now I knew that I wasn't going to have time. There was no way I was going to secure it. And I had visions of, you know, me going through the front windshield once once the collision happened. And that's so that's when I, you know, it was in sheer desperation. And I called out in my mind, oh, God, he's going to hit me. And instantaneously and instantaneously, he, I heard a voice and give me give me instructions. The voice said, lay down across the seat and cover your face. So I, I knew I didn't have time to do anything else. I did what I was told. I laid down across the seat and covered my face. And then the collision happened. And as it unfolded, I was thrown into the back seat of the car, unknowingly thrown into the back seat. Because when I was in the back seat, I was watching the window shatter. The the window, the only window that broke was the rear window. The front window did not break. So I had to have been in the in the back of the car. And I was very lucky that I was, it was a hatchback that I was not thrown over the seat because at he had collided with my car so fast I had there was virtually no, nothing left of the of the hatchback area of my car. And the glass created a piece of art. It was so beautiful in slow motion as it happened. But then I covered my face again with my arms because I was afraid of the glass, you know, pelting me. And then I felt a huge arm go under my back, under my arms, and another huge arm go under my knees. And I was picked up by something I couldn't see, but I could feel. And then all of a sudden, I was up up above the scene, looking down onto the accident through a hole in the clouds, even though it was a cloudless day. Um, and I knew I wasn't alone up there because I could feel the touch of of hands well, and, and a form on my elbows, above my elbows, on my arms, and it was holding me there. And I watched for a while, and then all of a sudden I was snapped back into my body. And I was back in the front seat, laying across the seat where I had laid down, only this time my Legs were over the steering wheel instead of under the steering wheel. So I have no I no doubt that there was a lot of help that day that manipulated my body so that I didn't break a bone or anything. Um, so so unlike the first NDE where I was looking, you know, from this world into two other worlds through those two tunnels, this time I was on in another world looking back into this one through an opening in the clouds. So that is, I believe those clouds that, that I saw in those experiences was the veil that separates, you know, one dimension from another that we, we in this world can't see. Mm. And I, you have a drawing from that perspective in your I book. Have, yeah. I have that drawing looking down on the accident and I um, have, I show the pictures of the car too. Mm. Uh, so they can see that. When I went to look at the car after I left the hospital that day, 
when I told him it was my car, he says, you got to be kidding me. I thought this was a fatality. And I said, no, I, I made it. <laughs> but so I had to rent a car, of course, because it was totaled. And uh, but I made it through. So, you know, I, I had I find the scripture that are really uh, meaningful to me that, you know, the Psalms 91, 11, that says, for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands to keep you from striking a foot on a stone because they really did that that day for me. And I, I just think that experience was absolutely amazing. So. You describe in your book, my knees were bent and draped over the steering wheel with my legs hanging between the steering wheel and the dashboard. The column levers had been torn off by the force of my feet and legs being thrown into it. Yeah. Pretty violent, pretty violent. A note to listeners, if you see yourself in a situation like that, where you see a car racing toward you and you realize there's no way they're going to be able to stop in time, take your foot off the brake because if you do that, then the impact will push your car forward rather than it won't be so severe an impact. But with your foot on the brake, of course, it just stops. You know, you are stopped cold. And when they hit you, they hit you full force. Yeah, I was stopped cold because I was and I kept my foot on the brake because I was worried about the car in front of me, too, because it was still sure. there. So but the force of that, uh, the first collision, which only felt like a bump on the side of my bed because it didn't feel bad at all to mm. me because I I was obviously out of my body a bit. And, yes. and I find that in a lot of stories that you don't feel the accident when it when you're going through it. It's only afterwards when you return to your body do you feel it. But that pushed my car into the car in front of me then. So that's why I was sandwiched between two cars and my roof got buckled uh, too. So and you the, imagine the force of having, you know, buckling the car up like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Did you have uh, any rehab after that? Yes, I did. I, I didn't, I had scrapes on the front of my knees, but I, mm. I did experience muscle trauma very badly um, from being tossed around the car. I ended up going through about a year worth of uh, physical therapy for that. And that's not easy because I had to get up early to, to go do it before I went to work in mm. the mornings. And um, the kids, you know, either were taken to a a daycare or got off on their own because I had different variety of ages. And fortunately, we only lived a block from the school. So that, that worked out okay. But yes, it was a debilitating thing. And, and to this day, I have to exercise or my body hurts. So I just yeah. continuous process, lifelong process. There is a picture in your book too, of the car after the accident. Yeah. Pretty badly damaged. Well, now, your third near-death experience was the most profound, and I gather the most life-changing from your right. point of view. Tell us about that. Yes, that was by far the, the deepest. Each one was on the Grayson scale, but this one was much higher than any of the other ones. Yes, let's go there. Uh, I had gotten married to a man named Gavin, the one I had coffee with, actually, the day of the car accident, hmm. and he loved the country life, so... Um, we purchased a ranch uh, and moved out to the country, but it was close enough to the city where we could commute to work. So, um, but one fall season, I developed an allergy and that I'd never had before. 
And I thought it would go away as season changed, like you hear that they would, but this one did not. And one particular night, uh, it was extremely bad. But each day I took decongestants when I went inside, thinking it was the grass and the hay that I was working with because he had he had horses. And I thought it was, I, might, I developed an allergy to that. Um, but what I didn't realize is the, I clogged up in the house, not outside of the house. So it was something inside the house actually was those fresheners, air fresheners. And I had them all over the house and one was right next to my bed. So this particular night I had went to bed and propped three pillows on top of each other so I could breathe better. So I'd be at a 45 degree angle because that's supposed to help people breathe better. And during the night, my chest started to hurt. It felt like it was in a vice and my, my breathing had been cut off. And I didn't have enough energy to sit up and gasp for air. So I reached for my husband. I was going to shake him to help me. And I couldn't feel him. And then I called out for him. I said, Gavin, help me. Please help me. And there was no response. Suddenly, without effort, no effort at all, I was out of my body. And I felt like I had been set free. I felt like I had taken the biggest freshest breath of air that I'd ever taken. And I was floating in a velvety darkness of unconditional peace, love, and tranquility. It was incredible. That's all I can say. It felt like the most magnificent spa day ever multiplied by a million. And I was instantly connected to the universal consciousness and I knew everything was as it should be. The velvety darkness that I was floating in seemed perfectly normal because it was the middle of the night. So I wasn't afraid. And I could see my husband and me lying in bed below. And I, I knew that I was dead. Somehow I knew it. And I was surprised about how I looked from the outside of my body. And I noticed my hands were still over my tummy. So it was unquestionably my spirit arm that reached for Gavin. And it was my spirit voice that had called for him. And that's why he didn't respond because he couldn't hear, hear me or, or feel me, just like we hear so many like, reports of that kind of thing. And I wanted to see more of my physical body. And just by that desire, I was zooming down to my body from different directions. And then I returned up to where around the ceiling height. But, but when I looked around, I noticed the ceiling had melted away and was no longer there. Um, actually, I, really, actually, I was higher than the ceiling, more or less about the roof line, and everything was gone, and I could see into the house. So at the time, I felt like I was floating face up on my back uh, in an immense pool of love at a 45 degree angle, and I could feel my energetic arms uh, elongated and floating out to my sides, you know, kind of like floating on the surface of a pool way out to the sides. And I could feel my legs coming up toward me, but I'll get to that for a minute. Okay. They were elongated. My arms were elongated because they were outside of the physical body. They were not encapsulated anymore. Then I saw a silver cord float by above and in front of me front of me and from left to right in an atmosphere that I can only describe with no gravity, like astronauts when they have a, a hose that gets loose, you know, in their spacecraft. 
when I saw the silver cord float by, I, I noticed a ball of light that was approaching the from the right. If you look at, if you were in my body and you were looking to the right, that's where it was coming from. And it was coming in toward the room in a, in a, a curve, an S-shaped curve. But while the light approached, I was more interested in what was going on down at my physical body because something was lifting out of my physical legs. What I saw was a shimmering blue energy, the color of the sky on a beautiful day. It was floating up out of my feet, then my shins, then out of my thighs. When the energy totally escaped the body, I could feel it drawing up to me. Uh, it drew up to me because I was the already the energetic consciousness that had left the upper part of the body. And I had been watching the remainder of my blue spirit body exit the lower half of my body. I, in spirit, had stretched to escape my physical form. And somehow, because I was connected to the universal consciousness, I knew this was my own slice of the creator spirit known as the Holy Spirit or to some, like I mentioned before, they simply call it spirit or soul. That's why the source says he lives with us and experiences life with us, because he really does. Our energetic consciousness is our personal slice of God's spirit. And it's through God's spirit that all three of the divine creators, the divine uh, superpowers can live and experience life through us and be with us at all times. So when the blue energy floated up to me, I became whole again, morphing into the shape of an orb who was now sitting in a, a wand like the kids used to blow bubbles. But I was it was made of cushy, unconditional love. That's the only way I can explain it. And the wand, I believe, was the creator's symbolic gesture that this indeed was the answer to a prayer I had prayed two years previously while singing the song, Breathe Upon Me, Breath of God. While the metamorphosis took place, I could sense my shape because I could feel my energetic spiritual arms that had been floating out to my sides. They had pulled in and, and my energetic legs had pulled up toward me. And that's when I had morphed into the shape of an orb. And I also glowed just like the light that was zooming toward the room and like the lights that had left my bedroom when I was 15. And my vision went through a fishbowl effect for an instant until the transformation was complete. And then I, my sight became crystal clear. Now, at that time, when I was a child, I was, on, I was, at the, I was right on the precipice of being legally blind. Any worse than I would have been declared legally blind. I could only see shapes and colors, no form, until I got my glasses, and they were Coke bottles, to be sure. And I was healed from everything that ailed me once I was out of my body, even through with the, any unworthiness that I might have had. And that is also important because another one of the song is that he's the savior of my soul. So he, he's, he healed my soul that night, too. And then suddenly, this light that had been coming from the right uh, zips into my room and stops in front of me. And that's when he promptly grew and changed into the most incredible heavenly light being that was infused with light and had light rays coming out of its heart center. Initially, I couldn't see 
I could see the light very uh, the light being's hair, and I could see the shape of its face and its clothing, but I couldn't see its the you know the identifying features on its face clearly because the rays coming out of its heart center were so strong and and I glowed too that it obscured my view, so its identity was initially hidden. Uh, but during another later incredible experience, Jesus revealed that this being was him. So the light being that was Jesus already knew who I was and loved me, regardless of my successes or my failures. And he loved me just for existing. And he loved me without condition, just like he does all of us, because it's the same for all of us. He had brown hair down to his shoulders and wisps of hair were gently blowing across his chin due to a breeze that I, I couldn't feel, but I could see due to the movement of his hair. And I, I just gaped and I couldn't speak because I felt I could burst from the exchange of love between the two of us. And maybe that's, when, you know, because our jock seems to hit the floor when, when we are, uh, when we see this kind of being, that the, the most important form of love is uh, described as a gape love. Uh, maybe it's because we gape. I, I have no idea. But that perfectly makes sense to me. In the meantime, I noticed a second ball of light coming through the darkness off to my left. But I turned my focus back to Jesus because he had held his hand out to me, palm up in a gesture of come take my hand. Then he said, it's time to come home, Jan. When he told me it was my time to go, I had a thought about my daughter because I wondered which, how she'd take my death. But my thought was answered without even having to ask. You know, he knows everything we, we think. So he told me she'll be okay. Suddenly, the second light that was approaching grew bigger and was now beside Jesus. I could see the clouds bubbling around the edges of the glowing light, but the brilliant energy was actually alive. This magnificent light force was God in all of his essence, and the love coming from him was indescribable. I say him because of, you know, that's how we describe him in the Christian tradition, but and it just does not seem personable enough, you know, it's not personal enough. So the strange thing is that even though the light seemed to be white, I could feel the colors of the rays, the magnificent colors coming out of it. And that's when God reached his rainbow arms out from that tunnel-like light, and he embraced me and pulled him to him. And my back was up against his chest, so to speak. That's all I can explain it. And he, while he embraced me, uh, he told me that I was perfect in every way. And I, and I, he showed me moments of my life and uh, told me to understand these moments. They matter. And there was quite a few of them. And so, but when he released me, I still wanted to go. I didn't want to go back to my body. And that's when the angels came. And the angels came and they touched my arms above the elbows. I had morphed again. 
I had morphed more from the from the orb shape than into a tran white translucent form of a person, and that the angels touched my arms above the elbows and took me high into the sky. And while it was high in the sky, I saw two pins of light come down the country road. The ranch was a quarter of a mile off the, the main road, uh, gravel road. And even though I, that those pins of light were so far in the distance, I knew it was an ambulance. I mean, I could see the layout of the land inside the house, uh, the neighbors around their yards and everything. And, but yet I still felt I, like I was in that vehicle coming up the road, even though they were pins of light. And I could hear the crunch of the tires going over the, the rocks in the road as it, as it drove over. And I could, and I could see in front of the vehicle and behind the vehicle. I had all perspectives while I was there and I could hear the clank of the equipment when it turned down our, our, uh, road that came up to the quarter mile road that came up to the house when it hit a rut in the road. So I had all perspectives. I had become one with the universe while I was up there. So our slice of the spirit, which is God's spirit, can be in this shows me that our spirit can be in all places at all times, just like God can, because it's God's spirit that he had given us uh, to guide us through this lifetime. So then uh, they showed me my death. Because I was, we lived so far out in the country, um, there was not a quick response time, and I was dead before they got there. Uh, but I, I didn't care. I wanted to go, so I was back down on the precipice of going into the light of God, into Him, and going to heaven. That He showed me one more picture, and that picture was a. So it was, it was important to me because it was my middle child, Kurt. And when I was shown Kurt's image, I knew that something was going to happen in the future. And if I wasn't there to support him through that time, he'd go down a pathway that would not be so good for him. Now, how would I know this unless it was planned? I must have had some kind of agreement with Kurt, just like I had an agreement with Gina uh, to be there for him. So again, we have agreements with other spirits and no matter where or how the lessons manifest, we will find to be a way to be together. And that's when I made the decision to stay. And I told Jesus, I'm not ready to go yet. Well, Jesus smiled and nodded his head. And that's when I turned back into the blue spirit body and sat down in Jan's body. I put my butt in her butt and I slipped a spirit foot into each of her body's physical feet, but not completely. And then I put my hands on my spirit knees and I rocked back and forth in Jan's body until I, its consciousness, could get up enough momentum to lay down and snap back in and help Jan sit up and gasp for air. All the while I re-entered my body, I heard a voice from heaven echoing over and over again until I completely entered it. And that echo echoing message is not only for me, it's for everyone. That voice kept repeating this, love is the only thing that matters. Needless to say, Jan was able to sit up and gasp for air. And then she had to live her life wondering when the other shoe was going to drop for her, her son, Kurt. Well, you can imagine having an experience like that. 
I cried all night long. I didn't know what happened. Not, the near-death experience was not yet even heard of in those times, at least not in my sphere of people. And to know something was going to happen to your son in the future and when you didn't know what it was or when it was going to happen. You know, I was living on pins and needles for, you know, for most of my life there until it did happen. And I think it was pretty darn incredible how God coordinated everything to come together the way he did to make me be there for that time in, in Kurt's life. So I, I then I noticed after this experience that the other mini movie moments that God started, that he showed me during that experience started to occur. You know, they started to play out as life went on. And I put the, all the meanings behind those moments in my book. And I got, God wanted me to write this book. I mean, there was one time um, the heaven is for real came out about the four year old little boy. Yes. And I was so I was so taken aback by that because I had a soul painting done and I didn't know what a soul painting was. And she said, it's a mess. It's supposed to be a message from heaven and she's divinely guiding and she connects. They can tell her what to paint. And she painted my near death. Part of my near death experience blew me away because I knew it was supposed to be, I was supposed to do something with these near death experiences, but I didn't know what. And my first endeavors to share were not good. So I, I had stayed quiet for many years. Speaking um, of that, when you were back in your body, did you wake your husband? Did you tell him anything about what you'd seen? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't explain it to him. How do you explain those things? I, I have since explained it to him and, you know, you get discounted. So why share it again? You know, just, just like anybody else, something that's so meaningful for you, if you share it, uh, with somebody and it's an intimate part of their life and you discount it, they're not going to share again. So be careful, you know, what you discount. Uh, right. cause, well, cause actually, actually I'm thinking now, if you saw an ambulance coming, he must've, uh, he must've realized that you were dead. No, that was, the, that was what, if I chose to stay, they were showing, I mean, if I chose to go to heaven, this was what was going to happen. And, uh, I didn't care. Oh, okay. So that was just the immediate future of what would happen to me if I if I chose to go. So that was all a vision, even though you could hear the tires and the driveway and everything. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Wow. So that yeah. so that was a realistic uh, portrayal. But yes. when, you, when you returned, your your husband was still asleep. He was still asleep, and then uh -huh. I was crying. You know, I oftentimes wonder uh, if I had. If I had said, no, I still want to go if they try, because I had three kids and here yes. I had Gina in, my, in, in these experiences and Kurt. And I wonder if they would have gone on and shown me something about my son, Philip, if, if that, uh, if I had chose not to, to go to heaven mm -hmm. or to, I'd rather to go to heaven instead of. And in God's presence, you felt completely forgiven, didn't you? I, everything. Yes. Everything was forgiven. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the judgment part, I have no idea because I, I didn't go to, you know, I wasn't totally there. Uh, I guess we won't really know that part until we, we, till we actually get there. But I didn't feel judged. And I didn't, when I showed, was shown these moments, it was not a life review either. It was, he wanted me to understand these moments because they were important. And actually, they're important to the living 
because it's a new view of how they can look at life. And the beautiful voice that told you love is the only thing that matters, was that from Jesus or from God or was it from somewhere else? I don't know. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. So I can't I can't say who it was. It was God or Jesus, but they were whatever it was, it was everywhere. But it was seemed to me like it was a uh, I could I couldn't say if it was a male voice or a female voice. It was just a overwhelming voice. And it echoes in me every day, thousands of times. You know, everything I do, I'm thinking about, is this the way I want to show my love? Because, uh, you know, you hear about these life reviews, and I don't want to have these life reviews. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to see what I've done wrong and how it's affected everybody, but I know I'm going to. So Now, you mentioned a later encounter with Jesus in which he clarified the fact that this was Jesus. Did I understand that correctly? Yes, yes. Tell tell me, what was that later encounter? Okay. After these experiences, I still uh, am contacted by heaven. I mean, uh, it's not like every day. It could be a few years between, but when they want me to know something, they they come and get me. But this time I was... uh, I had learned that we are energetic beings and we, we can, you know, you hear about the astral travel and we can, I noticed that we, our words and our thoughts carry energy. And there was a meditation group on Facebook that was wanted to do a worldwide meditation at the same time. And we were all going to listen to the same music. And we were going to send, we were going to try to raise the earth's vibration, the, the, the energy of the world uh, into more of a loving atmosphere and to help Mother Earth. And so I said, well, it certainly can't help. And I had the time. I had never done anything like that before. So I had set it all up. And at the, at the designated time, I went and sat down before my computer and uh, turned the music on. And then I tried to meditate. Well, I, I meditated, but then during this meditation, the same form that was in my third near-death experience was in front of me. And then it came closer and closer until I could only see the the left eye, his left eye. I could see his whole face. And it ended up, I ended up identifying that in the Heaven is for Real movie because it was the same uh, Jesus that the little boy Colton saw. And I could only see his left eye, but I could see the tears start to fall from his eye. And he was, he let me feel his pain in his heart breaking for what we had done to this world, how we have let our care go and we're hurting Mother Earth. And he let me feel that. And I also I could only do was sit there and cry. I was frozen in in my chair, and all I could do was cry, weep, weep with him. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, he zapped me. He turned the energy around, and he sent me rays of like love, pure love, into my into my heart. And I felt like I could explode from that that mass of energy coming into my heart center. And then it was over. And I couldn't finish the meditation from that point out on, because actually, I, I didn't, I didn't know how to explain it to anybody. 
I had I had had enough at that point, but I knew that's when he identified himself. And then I saw the picture in the Heaven is for Real movie. And then I put all of those together and I, I knew that's what he was uh, telling me. It was this, they were all the same person. You also talk about a spiritual council. Tell us yes. about that. Well, another, after the near-death experience, that was another night that, that uh, I was pulled up to heaven, to the in-between, you know, kind of like Saul was pulled up to heaven. I was pulled up to heaven during this experience. And for a lesson on thou shalt not judge. And I had already learned that I had misjudged people. And how did I learn I had misjudged people? Well, they had brought Bob into my life uh, from actually from the other side of the world. Can you imagine how much coordination it took to have that happen? But he had taken me uh, over to Austria, which is where I am right now. And he had shown me things when he when we came over and I had realized that I had misjudged people uh, in, in America for things that they were wearing or, or lifestyles, et cetera. But I realized afterwards, and that's I misjudged some this person but with what I saw here. And it was very lovely. And I and the bathing suit that I had judged was very common in Austria. And we're a land of immigrants in, in America. So we can't determine, you know, what is what a person's life consists of and where their thoughts come from, because we're not that person. And I had judged these people without having all the facts. Actually, the person that had the swimsuit was uh, new people over here in in Europe. So so he had been in Europe and and knew of this kind of clothing, whether or not his family had ordinarily wore that kind of clothing because it was it's the Olympic type swimming suit. And of course, Bob, who was brought into my life, they put your they put your woes right in front of you, your judgments right in front of you, because he loves to swim. And he had trained with an Olympic coach uh, for diving. And when he asked me about what type swimsuits that they wear, I told him and he couldn't believe that they wore so much clothing because it just slows you down swimming. And I said, why, what do you wear? And he told me, and I said, oh, it was what I didn't like. And I said, oh my gosh, how could you do this? (laughs) (laughs) But all the people you bring somebody into my life that wears something I didn't like. uh, And that from that point on, you know, I knew I'd misjudged. Now, this spiritual council, was it a number of spirits? Do they sit behind yes. a, like a, a desk or something? What do you see when you're yes. talking when to I, them? When I was standing there, it was just an open room, but uh, I don't even know if it was a room. It was just space with with uh, uh, a cloudy, it was a cloudy area. Some of them were standing and some of them were sitting. I suppose there were probably, um, I didn't count them all, but there might have been 11 or 12, I would say. There was, a num- there was quite a few of them. And Do they all speak to you or just one spokesperson? Uh, I really don't even know who spoke to me. I just heard a voice. You know, did you, did you, have you learned anything about judgment? And they, of course, they knew I had. And I said, yes, I have, because I was so happy about it. I already had. <laughs> and so they said, okay, show us how you learned. And so as I told them the memories of how I had formed a judgment, which I had formed it on my own, just by simply taking uh, 
I, somebody, but my, my mom said, keep your dress down or go, or go change into pants. I figured, okay, everybody's supposed to be very modest and clothing was covering up was very much what you were supposed to do. And so I had exaggerated all that in my mind and formed a judgment, which was not right. And I had also formed a judgment about somebody's house that was not like mine. And that, that was wrong too, because it's very normal over here in Europe. So the spiritual council shows you the roots of prejudice, of your prejudice yep. about these things. I'd never thought of it that way, but yeah, evidently. And, wow. and then, sure, then now that you say that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. And as I explained my memories, the heavens lit up with all my memories playing across the heavens as I formed the judgment. And then what I saw that made me realize I was, had misjudged. And then when I was set back, they were happy. They were chuckling and stuff when I was done. And I was happy too. And they, with that, that I had actually grasped the learning of how they had laid it out. They had laid it out for me to learn. And I, cause I remember when I was sent back to my body, I, I was chuckling and I said, that was so very cleverly laid out for me to learn as I was heading, it was, I was leaving back in, into my body and I woke up chuckling because it was so impressive. We're just about out of time, but I do want to ask you one more thing. When your father was dying, you had a video running that caught his soul departing his body. Tell us about that. Yeah. I was over in Austria at the time and got a call because I took care of them, but my, my brother came in to spot me some time so I could come over to Europe for a few months. And then I was going back and everything was fine when I left, but he turned very quickly. And they, I got a call saying his death was imminent. And I knew, you know, internet travel was not fast. And so I put myself out in the universe and I asked dad, I said, dad, are you there? And he said, Jan? I said, yeah. I said, am I going to make it? He said, yeah, I'll try, but it'll be close. And everything worked out as the universe coordinated it. I was able to get into to Boise very quickly and was there to be with him the last seven hours of his life. And he seemed to be resting peacefully. And I was tired from, you know, 17, 18 hours of travel. We all decided to take a, a short nap. And I woke up at like 1.30 in the morning for some reason, uh, which I, I'm surprised I did. But I think it was his spirit kind of roused my spirit because it was almost his time to go. And since the nurse, it was middle of the night, nurses were busy. I started filming with my camera thinking, okay, if I have questions about his breathing changing, then I can take it and show the nurse and get uh, some answers about what's going on. And as I played with the camera four times, I took short films. And on the last one, I happened to catch his last exhale of breath. And I kept filming and he never breathed again. But on that film, I happened to capture his spirit leaving his body. And it was a light blue force of energy that whips out of his body to the right, which was away from my mom because she was dying in the other room. They were dying at the same time. And I thought he would go directly to her. But so later on, my sister pointed it out. She said, well, look at that. And I so I looked at it and I then we put it on the computer and and looked at it. And sure enough, it was his spirit leaving the body. So I asked uh, Bob, who is a techie, uh, if he would uh, slow 
the film down so I can get a better look at it. And he did. And it reversed directions. It moved to the left. Well, it's just like the, the, the spinning tire uh, effect that it spins so fast, it looks like it's going to it backwards because your, your eyes can't visually handle that entire, you know, that many movements. So it looks like it's moving backwards. Yeah. But when you slow it down, the tire's rotation is actually going in the correct direction. Well, when they, he slowed dad's film down, it moved to the left. His spirit moved to the left, which was toward my mom, which then made sense. So his body, his spirit had left his body so fast, it had seemed to go to the right, when in actuality, it was going to the left so he could go be with my mom, who was dying in the next room. So, and you said that they had agreed to go into heaven together. So when she was dying, what did she say? Yes, they had always agreed to go into heaven together, and they wanted to see each other all the time. That's why we put dad in one room and her in the other room so they could always see each other. And two days after dad passed, mom was singing a song. And I said, what did you say, mom? And she said, I'm sorry, I'm singing a song. Can't you hear it? And I said, no, no, I can't. I said, what is it? And she said, it's good night, sweetheart. You know, it's good night, sweetheart. It's my time to go. And I said, that's got to be dad. And she said, yes, it is. And then she ended up dying nine days later. And she saw my dead brother, her dead relatives. And the last person she saw was my dad. And she said, Dick. And I said, you see dad? And she said, yeah, I do. And I said, what does he look like? Because they promised they would share everything with me through their dying process so I could study it. And she said, he looks so sharp. And I said, well, she said, how do you, what do you got there? You know, what are you holding? And he said, I said, what is he holding, mom? She said, I can't explain it. So I always wonder what it was that he <laughs> was holding that she can't explain. But he had come back, no doubt, to take her hand and lead her into heaven because that evening that she passed away. Wow. Mm -hmm. Jen, we're out of time, unfortunately. Okay. But do you have a website? And can you tell the listeners how they might find a copy of your book? Yes, I do have a website, JanetTarantino.com. And you can go there and uh, there's some films on my site, but you can see Dad's uh, Spirit on the Janet Tarantino um, YouTube channel, which is also on my website. There's those little icons at the bottom of the page that take you to all my social media sites. And of course, if you want to order through Amazon, it's easier just to put my name in and it takes you right there because there's a lot of dying books out there right now. So Yes. It was only after I realized that you were so nearsighted that Dying to See had a special significance <laughs> as a title. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what mom said. To me at one point, she says, I'm dying. She says, what's wrong, mom? She says, well, I'm dying to ask you a question. And I said, well, ask me anything. But she wasn't looking at me. She was looking at somebody else that I couldn't see. Uh, thank you, Janet, for sharing your story. This Pleasure. has been a wonderful. If listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 475 archived ad-free NDE interviews, go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the past shows button or go to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can subscribe to and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And be sure to check out our NDE Radio Facebook page. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app 
and listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern at Talk Zone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening.